right. So in a little change of pace from this theological depths of the canon theologian, I now have a very uh, practical um, thing that I want to um, teach to you. Not that we don't you know, use our theological understanding in practical ways, but I hope this will be a really sort of a hands-on teaching for you. What would really be great is if we had a whole weekend together where we could actually like practice this. Um, so we'll kind of see how the time goes. We might be able to do a little um, exercise. We ended about at 12.30, is that right? Yeah, so we might, we might have an opportunity, depending on how the time goes, uh, for you to practice some personal prophetic uh, prayer ministry with each other. So let me pray for us, and um, then we'll jump in. Jesus, we um, were so inspired by your ministry that you always did what you, you saw the Father doing. And what amazing um, things happened as you gave yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. And you told us that uh, these things that you've done and even greater things than these that, that we would do and that just seems so far most of the time from our own experience and understanding. But I ask that you take this little teaching and that you would use it to create um, faith and hope and energy um, around this amazing idea, Jesus, that we are your presence in the world and that you can cause your kingdom to come through us as we pray for others. So come now, Holy Spirit, and give us a teachable promise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a little welcome uh, to you all who came in from the city, as well as our uh, local Gregory House folks here, and then everyone who uh, will listen to the recording um, in Minnesota and beyond. So I thought what I would do is start with a little case study and um, of an experience that I had in doing some uh, personal pr prophetic prayer ministry with uh, someone a couple of years ago. So we were in Tallahassee, Florida for a little healing conference uh, called Equip to Heal. We were at a, um, a really vibrant uh, Anglican church there in Tallahassee. And something that's unusual about this particular church is that they're actually doing a really great job at getting people who are not yet um, fully Christians to come to their church services. And we're invited also to this healing conference. So instead of like, oh, well, now I'm saved. Now I can go on to part B and get healed. Instead, these were people who were actually seekers who were, who were present in the, in the conference, which made it honestly a lot more interesting. Well, um, the last day of the conference, I think we did like two full days, and then on Sunday morning we had a, a communion service, and after the communion service, this was your last opportunity to receive prayer if you wanted to. So I was with uh, Father Keith Hartzell, whom I think many of you know, and um, um, a young woman approached us uh, asking um, for prayer. So uh, 
This one was worth writing in my journal, so I will read you a little bit of this. Um, on Sunday morning after communion, we offered prayer ministry for the final time. Keith and I were praying together. A woman in her late 20s approached in tears. After a few questions, we learned the gist of her story. She was born to two addicted parents. At the age of eight months, she was removed from her home due to drug use and neglect. She went to live with her aunt, who raised her as a daughter. And it was her aunt that sort of, this is a part of this church that was like, you've got to come to this conference. Um, she uh, was married to a man, this young woman married to a man, who also has a drug problem, and they have two small children. Uh, while she was talking to us, her main concern was with her anger towards her mother, her birth mother. She knew she should forgive her mother, but she was unwilling. Keith helped her to address her mother more directly, uh, to name her anxiety, uh, to say what she would have wanted from her mother. Uh, it was very difficult for her um, to do what she did. So she, Keith just invited her, you know, like, as though your mom was here and you, we were going to address her, uh, just imagine she was right here and tell her what it was you needed. So she did that and she said, Mom, I needed you to take care of me, to be there for me, to love me, to care, to remember me. So this was the deep, the deep cry of her heart. So in the midst of this, uh, Keith asked her, do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? Um, she replied, I believe in God. So she just wasn't quite ready to go to the I believe in Jesus. She's like, I believe in God. Like, I'm like, that's all right. We've got enough. We've got enough to work with here. Um, it seemed to me in the moment that she was out of touch with all the goodness and love that surrounded her because she was stuck, as it were, in the perspective of that nine-year-old child. And then suddenly I remembered a children's TV show about a family of dinosaurs. So at this point, I will show you the little clip.
Daddy. Daddy. Franny. Daddy. <laughs> Fran. Daddy. He loves me. Listen to him. Daddy. 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 Not the mama. <laughs> so, in the midst of this, you know, like serious prayer ministry thing. This is what I'm thinking of, <laughs> not the mama, the dinosaur show. And, you know, it's just, it's just kind of won't leave my mind. Um, <laughs> so funny. Uh, so I suddenly remember a TV show about a family of dinosaurs. In it, the baby dinosaurs always, um, the baby dinosaur always sat in a high chair. Uh, her mother she called mama, but everyone else and everything else she called not the mama obviously including her father. Um, I felt like this was a, 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 I felt like for this young woman that this was a sticking point in her relationship with Jesus as well. Um, that Jesus was a, not the mama. It's like, I don't want Jesus, I want my mama, you know. Jesus is another one of the not the mamas. Um, and that uh, consequently uh, uh, she could not let Jesus come close because of this. So um, given the age of this woman, I think she was probably 27, it was like, in my mind, there's no way in the world that she could possibly know the story of not the mama, but this is relatively easy to explain, right? Um, not a good time to go into like attachment theory and give her brain science and all that, you know? Um, but I thought, you know, I can probably uh, summarize this maybe to help her get this idea. Um, so. So I, I, I mentioned this to her, and right away she blurted out, I love that show! <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, she says, I watched it all the time when I was a little kid. In fact, I just watched it on YouTube last week. When that baby hits the daddy over the head with the frying pan and says, not the mama. Like, I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, this woman actually knows this show. So um, I proposed to her that we could pray together imaginatively. I said, imagine yourself uh, as that baby dinosaur, or maybe your own eight-month-old eight self, sitting in the high chair. When Jesus walks up to you, extending his hands to you, uh, and since she was a mom, I was like, well, what do your kids do? Like, you know, if you, if you come up to them, she said, well, they go like this, like, you know, pick me up. Um, so, you know, like, she's had a lot of this experience, not only on being the, the baby side, but being the mom side of the story. So I said, um, imagine Jesus walks up to you, extending his hands to you, um, and just lift up your hands to him like your own kids do when they want to be picked up. Um, I asked her if that made sense, and she said, yes, it did, but she, could she please do that at home in private? So she was like, great idea. I'll, do, I'll go home and do that in private. I was like, actually, let's do that right now. Um, I told her um, uh, she could, of course, do it at home, but it would be better to do it right now uh, with me and Keith. So she said again, it's too hard. So I said, you know, you can take your time. Uh, Keith and I are not in a hurry, you know, no rush. Um, even though like church is over and everyone's filing out and picking up and all of those things. Um, I said, you don't actually need to say anything to Jesus. Um, you could just let your, your body do the praying for you. 
Um, so I said, when you close your eyes and picture that scene, and when you see Jesus approaching with his arms outstretched, uh, when you're ready, all you need to do is just lift up your arms like you would a little child. So she closed her eyes. We waited maybe half a minute. I mean, it wasn't a lot of time. Her eyes are closed. We're just watching her. She lifts up her hands. She keeps holding them up, tears streaming down her face. After a few minutes, I asked her what was happening. She said, Jesus picked me up. I feel his love all around me, touching my face and my head. Very profound. Very profound. I'd love to meet her again and find out, you know, like, what's been going on in her life since then. Um, but it was a, a ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, not only to that deep wound, you know, was my mama, who's forgotten me, um, but it was also an opening of her heart to Jesus, right, at, at the exact place of her deep need. Um, it's a great example of personal prophetic healing prayer ministry. All right. So with that, let me um, give you a little, you may have already had, did Bishop Stewart give you a teaching on prophecy? Yeah. So some of this will be review. Um, just for grins, um, you're going to get a little bit of Thomas Aquinas in here. Um, I was really, um, I spent, I don't know, I guess I started this kind of healing prayer ministry when I was still in college. Um, and then at Res, and I was involved in the ministry um, for, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, where we gave these kinds of healing conferences around the United States and in Europe. Um, so I had had a lot of, like, hands-on experience. And then at, like, age 38, I went back to school, and I really wanted to bring some theological understanding around my lived experience. And so I ended up with, of all people, Thomas Aquinas. So you'll get a little... Uh, if you've done any study of philosophy, you may pick up on his influence on me. Um, but let's start with um, uh, this uh, passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll talk just for a minute about the spiritual gifts in general. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. These are all empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In chapter 14, just a couple of chap chapters later, after it's so interesting that like he teaches on the spiritual gifts, then you have the chapter on love right in the middle, and then you have more teaching on the spiritual gifts in chapter 14. Um, he says, pursue love, uh, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Um, 
there are actually two lists of the gifts of the Spirit in Scripture. Uh, one we actually find in Isaiah chapter 11, um, which are often which are equated with the virtues. So, um, and those gifts, the virtues, are for the sanctifying of the soul. Uh, but these gifts of the of the Spirit are for the building up of the church. Um, Thomas says it pertains to the beauty and perfection of the church. Um, this is, I think, a, a helpful corrective. I don't know if any of you have spent any time in sort of the, uh, uh, the, the Pentecostal world, which is often also influenced by um, sort of American prosperity ideas, you know, where you kind of get the feeling that the spiritual gifts are for the, mostly for the individual person. Um, back in the day, uh, we were a part of a, uh, a movement in the, in the vineyard uh, which was called the prophetic movement, and it was famous for um, these these men who were prophets, uh, called themselves prophets, coming in and like there'd be an audience out there, and they might see Becca and say, "Becca, I see you. Uh, you know, the Spirit of God upon you, and the whole nation of France coming to Christ in a day." And you'd be like, "Wow, that's amazing!" You know. Uh, the thing is, it often really spoke to the ego. You know, even it was all about spiritual things and the gospel and everything was actually for the ego. Uh, but the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. Um, the second is just that the gift of prophecy has special prominence among the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I'm sure you've heard Bishop Stewart use this phrase that prophecy is a divine impression give, given human expression. Uh, so prophecy begins with receiving from God his words thoughts, feelings, intentions, followed by, followed by an expression or a communication to others of what has been received from God. Um, and the goal of the prophecy is to build up the church, uh, not just the individual person. So this, uh, you know, this experience that um, Keith and I had of praying for this um, young woman, um, the wisdom and that sort of prophetic light that, that I experience where I'm like thinking about the dinosaur show of all things. You know, it was two things, right? It was a gift of wisdom, just to, like a psychological insight, like this poor woman is so stuck in this wound with her mom that it's hard for her to open up to God. So, I mean, that, that is a word of wisdom. But there's also this, this, like, my imagination and my memory is also under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So I'm in a receptive posture where I'm paying attention to, like, what's going on in my head right, while I'm listening uh, to this woman. So that's the receiving part. And then as I communicate it, and it has its effect right away, like it resonates in her, um, that prophetic sort of circle has been completed. So it starts with this receiving, and then the speaking out, and then that witness, it sort of the, it, the, the, the working, the um, validation of what was said. We see the whole, the whole circle. Um, and she's also, of course, receiving prophetic inspiration, right? Um, so when she's sitting there, she closes her eyes, she sees in her imagination Jesus walking towards her. And she responds to the Lord. She's also in that, in that prophetic um, circle where God is communicating. Um, and then uh, as human beings, we're given expression to that. So, all that by way of review. <laughs>
Uh, let me say just a little something now about the, dis the disposition for uh, prophetic ministry. Um, the first one is something, if you, if you, if it's, if it's a desire of your heart to grow in this ministry, you can actually be working on your prophetic disposition every day. And that is uh, a well-formed Christian imagination. Um, I included a little quote here from Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Um, I love just the simplicity of this. The Lord asks Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, I see an almond branch. What an ordinary thing to see, right? Um, and what a beautiful thing. Um, an almond branch is a beautiful thing. Uh, even uh, nature, our attentiveness to nature, our attentiveness to the spring, uh, to the changing of the seasons, to the beauty of nature. Um, so often when we receive a prophetic uh, insight or a prophetic um, metaphor that we need to use as we're ministering to others, it will be something in nature. And if you read uh, the prophets, you know how often the metaphors they use are nature, nature metaphors. So um, having your mind and your imagination just full of images of, of nature and of beauty, um, those are all images that the Spirit of God can touch at any given moment to bring, uh, to communicate um, to you whatever it is in the heart of God to communicate to you. Um, so a wholly well-formed imagination supports the gift of prophecy. And of course, an unholy, ill-formed imagination also hinders prophecy. Um, the other thing we can do is to simply to be grounded in scripture. You know, how often uh, prophetic inspiration will just be the sudden remembrance of a scripture verse. Um, or sometimes there are metaphors that come from scripture. Scripture, of course, is full of images and metaphors. So to be well-grounded in scripture is uh, a great way to prepare yourself uh, to be available, ready, uh, ready to uh, move in the gifts of the Spirit. And a Christian symbolic system, in that sense, as Anglicans, we're just so blessed by the emphasis on the Christian symbolic system. Um, baptism, Eucharist. Great Christian art and story, all of those things can help us to uh, just saturate our imaginations uh, with, with good, with, with images, with holy images. Um, one of the things that uh, Thomas Aquinas brings out in his teaching on the imagination is that uh, the, the imagination, if you, can ima if you can sort of picture this, uh, Thomas says the human being is the, is the rational animal. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. Meaning that we have two components of our being. We have that which is supernatural and correct and connected to, um, to the realm of, 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 of ideas of supernature, of God and the angels. And then we also have this, our connection to the earth, to the world of sense. And so um, animals are all animal. We're also animals, but they're all animal. Uh, angels are all spirits. They're all rational beings. They don't have any bodily life. 
but the human being is a mix of the two. And he says it's in this kind of middle space where the two circles intersect. He calls this the imagination. So how do you get images into the imagination? They come through our eyes, they come through our lived experience, they come through the books we read, through the stories we love. All of those things like become a, um, like a library of, of images and ideas. And it's just there waiting um, for the Spirit of God to come and touch something, to bring something to your awareness, to bring something out of your memory into your present awareness. Um, so often, uh, that is the material that the Spirit of God works with. Um, so if your imagination is full of uh, scripture, of holy images, of beauty, of goodness, then those images are just there and ready, uh, waiting for the Spirit of God to, uh, to touch and to deal with. And he uses that to speak to us. Um, what I love about this story is that I don't know that I would have thought that like watching the dinosaur show was any contribution to my <laughs> to my Christian imagination. Apparently, God has a sense of humor, right? He wasn't like that show is definitely not Christian. I can't use that. Um, there it is. God can use anything. And he certainly knew this young woman and that that was a part of her symbolic system. Um, and so as the Spirit of God is touching me and touching her, uh, we make this connection and there's, there's movement, there's motion, there's a work of the Spirit that happens. Um, this is just a little summary here of Thomas's teaching on this. The grace of prophecy works on the imagination, that part of the soul that combines images that are received from the senses the abstract understanding of the higher intellect. Thus, prophetic inspiration comes in the form of imaginative energy, imaginative images, and is understanding derived um, from these images. Some people, it, it, it kind of depends on how you're wired up. Um, one of my mentors, um, Leanne Payne, who I, I would say had a very profound prophetic gift, um, she would actually see like the letters of the word. So it was, it, was a, it was a visual imaginative image, but it would be the word. She would act almost like seeing a word on a printed page. Um, that's, but she was like, she lived in the world of books. Um, like we couldn't get her to go see movies. She would like freak out, you know, like can't deal with the previews, you know, I need to go to the hospital, I've got PTSD, that kind of thing. So uh, maybe she was just super sensitive to, to, to images, but she lived in the world of words. That, that was her library, that's what she offered to God. You know, here's my imagination, stories and words, and uh, that's how the Holy Spirit would speak to her as she was ministering to others. Um, secondly, uh, prophecy should be an overflow of personal prayer. Um, I don't know what your prayer practices are, um, and we could do a whole workshop on listening prayer. But we can practice in our own private prayer closets um, ways of prayer that involve listening. Um, oftentimes prayer is about saying stuff to God. It's, it's a monologue. It's all us just talking, 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 and getting up and leaving. Um, to cultivate a two-way conversation with God means we start to open ourselves up to the words that God is saying back to us, um, which is uh, in some ways a whole uh, secondary way, uh, a, a whole new topic 
Um, but there's, there are ways of learning how to pray, for example, uh, Lectio Divina, you know, where you take just two or three verses, you pray with them, you speak out your heart to God, and then you do the bold thing and write down what you think God is saying back to you. Um, you know, and there's not, it's pretty private, you know, and like, you, like it, you don't really have to judge, like, was that God or not God? You just do it, but you get into that habit of listening prayer. Um, and if you're in, a, in a, you know, a regular rhythm, a daily or a weekly rhythm of listening prayer, then you're, you're like flexing those muscles of listening, of being receptive um, to the word of God, um, to the words that God is speaking uh, personally to you. It was, it was interesting when I went back, uh, um, this, this is a funny little aside, but um, my daughter, Karis, who's 23, um, she informed me that um, because most people see me on Sunday morning as a deacon, which is like such a serious thing, we don't get to tell jokes and stuff like the preachers. And she's like, Mom, everyone thinks you're so serious, like, and that you don't have a sense of humor. So I was like, well, i got to think of something funny. She's like, tell them that dinosaur story. So, um, <laughs> so you can thank my daughter for that if it, if it uh, comes back to you, if you happen to see her. But um, I, um, <laughs> it was interesting. So I, first of all, I had to look up like where was that, when was that. So I pulled out my journal uh, for 2008, where I wrote it down, right? Which is really good. We have such short memories. Um, but I, I was listening that morning to Praise You Go. Um, and um, um, the, the, the passage was about, uh, um, it was the story of the, uh, uh, the unjust judge that the um, persistent widow like wears him down and finally gets him to do what he wants. And um, so, <laughs> so, this is, so I was praying that way. And uh, this is what I wrote down. Uh, um, uh, at first I felt defensive because it feels like I am not very good at asking God for things, literally material things, money, circumstances, healings of the body. And I'm so put off by teachings and practices that seem to get at wearing God down in order to get him to do things. As I talked to the Lord about this, I had an image of reams and reams of paper that the Father had filed under my name, as though to correct my self-judgment and my feelings of judgment against those whom I deem to have mechanical views of prayer. And then I wrote, speaking to the Lord, Lord, evermore strengthen me in my practice of prayer. I especially want to grow in the frequency of periods when my mental prayer is active, asking you for what I need and telling you how I feel moment by moment. And I long to be receptive in those moments to what, what is on your heart and mind, to listen as well as to speak. And then I just dared write down what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. Uh, Valerie, dear one, you are mighty in prayer. No one but you looks down on you. Don't be intimidated that, uh, by those that I inspire in different ways. Let me move in you and toward, move you toward prayer. And keep on teaching my people how to pray. I am so satisfied with your life. I needed to read that this morning. I really did. Um, but my readiness to pray with someone at a healing conference 
comes from this like just uh, daily practice of, of listening prayer. So if you want to grow in prophetic ministry, start listening to prayer. Start uh, listening to God in your own private prayer. Um, see submission to the Spirit. Uh, this, the prof prophecy is in submission to the Spirit and to human authority. Um, here's a little quote from the Summa. The prophet's mind is instructed by God in two ways. In one way, uh, by an express revelation, in another, by a most mysterious instinct to which the human mind is subject without knowing it. Um, so there is this uh, beautiful way that the, uh, the mind of someone moving in uh, prophetic ministry, the mind is, is submitted to God. And then this uh, warning from 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Um, it can be, a, you know, when you're learning on this sort of low stakes thing, like, it's, it's unlikely that, like, something that I, like, spun up, spun out of the flesh that was really not from the spirit, unlikely it's going to cause a whole lot of harm in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, the stakes can get higher, of course. Um, but to pray in pairs means that you can do a little debrief afterwards, right? So, um... Uh, Father Keith and I had a little debrief after this one, and um, <laughs> he said when I first talked, started talking about the dinosaur show, he was like, <laughs> Val is really, she's gotten off the path somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, then there's that confirmation, and I'm also like, was that off, off the wall talking about the dinosaur show and our, you know, that prayer time? Say, no, obviously, you saw what happened. Like, that was from the Lord. Um, so when we work in pairs like that, uh, that's, a, that's a beginning way to just to be humble and submissive to another person who can give you feedback. Um, something that we do here at uh, Church of the Resurrection, if, uh, like, we have a, uh, a quarterly, we have a, a res fast, where people fast during the day and they come in together to pray, um, and sometimes we open that up, you know, is there anyone have a word that's on your heart that you want to share? Before that's shared with the whole group of people there, uh, that person will check in, you know, with a priest or a deacon um, before they say that publicly. Um, so there is that safeguard, too, uh, and we need that, because this kind of praying, this kind of prophetic personal prayer, it is improv to the max. You don't really know what you're going to say until you say it. It's a very improvisational, creative way of praying. Um, it requires some risk. Uh, it requires kind of putting yourself out there, potentially making a fool of yourself, having things that completely like are a flop, um, as well as like really cool, amazing things that could happen. Um, and it is kind of a, yeah, it's, it's this massive, uh, yeah, improvisational thing. Um, and so there is a great, um, I, I think it makes it make, helps us to feel more safe about taking risks if we know, you know, if I flub this up, my friend is going to tell me and I'm going to get better at this over time. All right. Uh, if you turn to page three, I want to talk about two kinds of prophetic prayer. 
Um, the first one, which was taught to me as um, a prayer of faith, that's what they would call it. It must be some phrase that comes out of like charismatic renewal or something. I remember one of my mentors, you know, we're like in a small group praying about some matter, and, and she would say, Val, can you release a prayer of faith for that? And I'd be like, what's a prayer of faith? You know, <laughs> I don't really know what you're talking about. Um, so this is my best articulation of this. Uh, a prayer of faith is a petition. It's an asking for something in particular. Um, but it's in harmony with the heart of God. Um, there's, there's an emotional dimension here of union with the emotionality of God. Um, I did this interesting um, study one time about uh, grief. And it's so interesting, grief in the heart of God. Um, there's a, a, right before um, the world uh, in, in Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood, um, there's this devastating comment um, where the writer says, um, God saw that everything was wicked in the world and it grieved him to his heart. So I'm like, wow, the father grieves. Um, and then Jesus, of course, is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we even see him weeping in the Gospels. And then uh, the spirit, we grieve the spirit. The spirit grieves. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God grieves. Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all grieving. Um, you know, what would it be like if I was in harmony with that grief? Um, I don't know if you've ever been with a friend recounting some grief and you cry too in empathy, you know? What would it be like to have that kind of an empathic uh, connection via empathy, an emotional sense of union with God? Um, so these, this prayer of faith is, I think, first of all, this kind of syncing up of the human emotions with God's heart. Um, a couple of uh, examples of this uh, in scripture. From the book of Acts, uh, when Peter was in prison. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I wonder what was that little prayer meeting like? I don't think it was a uh, sedate one person prays at a time. I think it was probably quite an emotional thing. Um, I love this from James. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its work. This, this, uh, uh, it's, it's not that like people who pray with emotion are more effective, because um, some people are just more emotional. Um, but what is it to join with God's heart? Uh, I had an interesting experience at this. Uh, in college, I was selected to go to something that the Billy Graham Association uh, used to offer, I don't know, every three years or so. This was called Amsterdam 86. And uh, I think that it, was in, it was in the Netherlands, uh, I think there were like 12,000 evangelists from all over the world who were invited to this conference. It was my first experience of realizing that that um, white people are in the minority in the church worldwide. Because like, there were hardly any, like, there were, I think there were two white female evangelists. Just us two, right? Uh, and then there were a few white guys. But almost everyone else was either from Latin America or Africa. 
And I was like, oh, and it was so cool just to have it visually represented, right, with 12,000 people. So the Graham Association is the quintessential, like, white Southern evangelist, right, as, as are his team. So there was this really interesting uh, moment when there were a couple of evangelists, I think they were maybe from Algeria, and they, their airplane had been hijacked on the runway. So they were having, you know, this was like the beginning of uh, Islamic terrorism. And so, uh, you know, some official from the Graham Association got up with his suit and his white, and his tie and his white shirt and said, you know, uh, you know, let us pray for, you know, our brothers who are stuck, you know, on the runway, you know, being held captive by terrorists in Algeria. And um, he, it was kind of like, you know, the classic, like, let us pray, and everyone is supposed to, like, bow their head and close their eyes. And he started, you know, dear loving Heavenly Father, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, 12,000 evangelists started, like, stood up and started, like, crying out to God and, like, laying on the floor. And, like, like there was, like, this huge emotional, like, uproar, you know, like, there was no hearing, you know, the... The stayed quiet white man. <laughs> and it was this just this roar of prayer. And I'm like, now that's the prayer of faith. Um, where these men and women who love God with all their hearts, I mean, there's like bicycle evangelists, you know, people who live on pennies, who live at a level of poverty, sharing the gospel in remote parts of the world. When they are like, time to pray for our brothers, like the terrorists are holding them captive, they're like, we're not going to fold our hands and pray. <laughs> pray. <laughs> but it's that 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 ability to like tap into the emotionality of God, uh, to the emotionality of human beings, to really be in union with God at that level. That that kind of prayer uh, is quite powerful. I think it's a it's a very um, extraordinary example of uh, prophetic prayer. Because where is the intuition? The divine intuition is the heart of God, um, given human expression in the prayer. Um, and along with that, I just want to mention the gift of tears. Um, the Eastern Church is really big on this. Um, um, it's very little talked about, I think, in our sort of stoic kind of Christianity that we're often exposed to. But um, tears, uh, to cry while praying is such a, I think this tapping into the grief of God. Um, this is from 2 Corinthians. Um, For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And from Hebrews, speaking of the prayer life of our Lord, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Um, so let me just encourage you to pay attention to your uh, emotions when you're praying, especially for those petitions, for something particular that you're asking for. Um, let that energy uh, impact uh, how you pray. All right, and then just a little something on personal uh, prophetic prayer, and then I will do a little prayer exercise um, along these lines. Um, personal prof 
prophetic prayer, uh, I just put a couple of bullet points here. Um, it starts with just an open, receptive, listening posture towards God. Um, there is something quite humble, I think, about this way of prayer. Because you step into a moment of praying with someone where you don't really know where this is going to go and what's going to happen. Um, we start with just that openness and an open to listen. Uh, encouragement to be open to images as a form of guidance. Um, sometimes that, that image just holds a lot more than a whole lot of words. And openness to scripture, uh, which might include images, uh, passages of scripture, words or phrases. You know, as you're praying for someone and all of a sudden, uh, you know, a, a, fra a fragment of a verse of scripture comes to mind. You know, like, don't worry if you don't know exactly where the reference is. You don't even have to look it up if you don't need to. But don't hesitate to bring forward that, that phrase uh, to trust that the Holy Spirit is, like, influencing your memory um, while you're praying for that person. Uh, and it is really, it has to do with influence rather than uh, control. I mean, I think sometimes, um, you know, we have these images in our imaginations from movies where... Uh, you know, some kind of a, um, an oracle like gets uh, like possessed by some spirit and they're like, uh, you know, like they're taken over. Um, yeah, I hesitate to mention this because you may judge me, but um, Harry Potter, uh, Professor Trelawney, mm -hmm. you know, like she, she goes like catatonic, you know, when she's under the muse of whatever this, you know, her spirit of divination. Like, that's not how it works with the Holy Spirit. He influences us. He gives us this freedom to, um, to join him, but in an, in an, an authentic and human way. Um, so, Deacon Val, I've been thinking a lot of, I've been growing in a, in a love for like prophetic prayer, and, mm -hmm. and that's been kind of a new thing in my life. There's also a new thing in my parents' life, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's been same time as I've been discovering, I've also been uh, growing in my suspicion and fear. Mm. And I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, so my, my parents are part of a church back in North Carolina that, um, that practices prophetic prayer of a sort and have become, like, have, have are so convinced of their direct revelation from mm -hmm. God that they've actually insulated themselves from critique. Yeah. And their prophetic prayer had a lot to do with spiritual interpretation from our political moment. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. Just uh, God's raising up of a political figure for mm -hmm. deliverance and prophecy over our country. And, and, and it, there's this kind of like nationalism that was yep. wrapped up in it. And, and it made it like so difficult for me mm -hmm. on Christmas, and and we're both Christians, but we're like talking about a very different God. Mm -hmm. Acts. I, yep. I, I see our God as if you want to find God, find Him in the places of weakness. Mm -hmm. and my parents are trying to find Him in places of power, at the White House, etc. And and it was a, it was a confusing and hard time for yeah. me. It kind of shook me up with like mm -hmm. prophetic prayer. You know, how do I know that yes. God is speaking to me? Right. And then. When I venture to take that risk, and a community around me starts to affirm that, I'm not, I'm not yet convinced that we we actually are hearing from God. Mm -hmm. Instead, deluding all of ourselves. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the, the discernment of spirits, of course, is a whole other 
teaching, right? Um, um, you know, and I mean, my experience uh, that there there is often a gravitation towards power um, among, uh, especially this kind of uh, kind of American Pentecostals. Um, they they tend they tend to go hand in hand. Um, I as a someone who loves sociology, I also feel like uh, historically. Charismatics and Pentecostals come from marginalized parts of society, and and uh, there is something about what's just happened recently that um, even with Trump had Paula White, who's like a part of that kind of American Pentecostal tradition, like he was like her, she was like his spiritual advisor or something like that. It's like for that group of people, I mean, I'm looking at it sociologically, they're like, our time has come. We're not on the margins anymore. You know, we're like right in the position of power. And, uh, you know, what a precarious, precarious place to be in. Um, uh, my early experiences of um, Pentecostal, you know, and prophetic ministry in high school was just so disconcerting, you know, where the preacher, you know, came in on his private jet, and as I was standing in the lobby, you know, waiting for the doors to open, visibly poor people around me that I know gave their money, you know, um, because of his prophetic power. Um, there is a real danger here. Um, and having struggled with that for a long time and been very reactionary to it, and I still am, um, I think it, it could be worth a whole other teaching on um, discernment of spirits. Um, I think one of the most, the thing that has been most helpful to me is actually from Ignatius of Loyola, um, where he has a um, um, an exercise that he calls the two standards, uh, two flags. So um, one flag is the flag of Lucifer, and it's all about power. Um, and um, Power, influence, prestige, honor, uh, recognition, um, all of those things. And then the other standard, the other flag, is the flag of Christ, which is towards poverty, humility, um, and um, the margins. You know, and I'm like, man, we need that teaching. Uh, because that can be such a simple dividing line to say, is this from God or is this not from God? Uh, that exp that example I gave in the in the beginning of like, Becca, all all the friends will come to Christ in a day. You know, it's like, wow, that is so cool. I'll be the most superstar missionary there ever was. You know, like that's all about ego. It's about power. It's about honor. It's about prestige. Um, if you know, if the prophecy was given in tears by the prophet, uh, who said, you know, I see an early grave for you. I'd be more likely to believe that one was true. <laughs> Just given the whole witness of, of, of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it is like, this is kind of dicey. You know, how do we carry uh, a prophetic ministry? Um, what are the guardrails for that? Um, and I think the guardrails, you know, of discernment of spirits. One, you know, I mean, at least in our church, you are going to have you know, Bishop Stewart like cheering you on to some 
you know, Americanized glory. <laughs> uh, he's gonna he's gonna catch that, you know. But for us in our, uh, it's safer this kind of personal prayer when we have those understandings of the ministry of Jesus and of His values. Yeah, and and there is of course the whole like you know when your prophecies don't come true, it's a pretty good indicator that you're a false prophet. So um, I've heard some interesting tales about how befuddled everyone was, you know, after uh, Joe Biden was actually, um, after the inauguration and all those prophets that were sure, you know, that that wasn't going to happen. They were really in a tizzy, you know, because they, they were just totally deluded by that. Um, so apparently there's some kind of prophecies out there that like today on March 4th, you know, like miraculously, you know, Donald Trump's going to be president again. I don't think that's going to happen. So, uh, you know, hopefully whoever's following those prophets will be like, hmm, you know. You would hope. You would hope, but unfortunately, you know, uh, we, yeah, that this same way that the Arians, you know, that in the in the early church, the Arians who like wanted to see Christ as sort of the valiant one that led them into battle, that was really popular. Uh, because it gives it gives you that sense of aligning yourself with the way of power instead of with the way of humility. Yeah. Do you have a question? Yeah. Um, so I I had a, an experience with prophetic ministry about three years ago that um, I feel like it's just I'd love to hear your thoughts on like situations like this moving sure. forward. So uh, we have with our college students uh, a fall retreat every year. Uh, we were at this fall retreat and it was, uh, we were having this evening time of just prayer ministry uh, with, you know, worship music playing and that sort of thing. Um, a leader who was with us on this retreat, um, you know, came up to Father Nate and shared what he felt like was a word from the Lord and uh, he gave him permission to share it with another group. He did, and a student that I was discipling uh, felt like that was for him, mm -hmm. and so asked him to pray into it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they went into the back and were praying into this. And uh, once they started praying one on one into this thing, uh, this student felt like at some point there was this sharp left turn where it was like, "Oh, this isn't for me. Like this is totally like this is." made up this is mm. like he's just flying blind right now yeah what's going on and it really hurt him mm. and like it totally turned him off to that time and like it was only after the fact that he shared this story with me and told me like what happened for him in it. and um i i felt like i just didn't know what to say to him yeah because like i i know this leader and i really trust him mm -hmm. and so i know that like there was no malintent, and I'm assuming on some level this sort of thing is somewhat inevitable with prophetic ministry. Um, but I love to hear your thoughts on that, and also just like what to do to care for someone in that situation where they feel like they've been really hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it just the two of them praying together? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just a first of all, you know. I think it's just always safer to pray in pairs. Okay. Um, I wanted to say, I'm really sorry that happened. Tell me more about what it was that hurt you. And just to listen, I think, is really important. Um, <laughs> one of my jobs at Church of the Resurrection is the, um, I don't know what you would call it, but 
if there's a complaint against a prime minister, they come to me. And then I have to go to the offending prime minister and straighten them out. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that actually helps a lot. Because the person who comes to me and is like, this just seems so inappropriate. It really hurt me. And I'm like, wow, you're right. That is so inappropriate. I will, you know, talk to that prayer minister. And then I always go back to them and say, we did have a conversation. Occasionally, I've actually done a reconciliation meeting. Um, so, because that prayer minister, this is a real teachable moment um, for them to get feedback. Like, when you did this, I felt like you just heard, like, Rolling, rolling me over with a bulldozer. Um, that prime minister needs that kind of feedback um, in order to grow. Um, and we have to create those possibility for reconciliation. Um, just to, I think going to bat for people when they feel like they've been hurt means a lot. Um, and it, I mean, if that's still outstanding, I, yeah, I'd encourage you to talk to them again, see how they're feeling about it. Um, and yeah, do, do something to try to resolve, resolve that situation. Because we, we can learn, uh, and we do make mistakes. Um, I mean, I think occasionally uh, a person just isn't ready to hear it. Um, and you, know, you don't know, you might go back to the friend and be like, you know that thing I was so reactionary about? Now, you know what, it actually, I think maybe he was on to something. So it's hard to say how it's all going. Like every situation is a little bit, is a little bit different. But it's easy to kind of, you know, because we're like being influenced by the spirit, but we're not like being like taken over. Like we, we can, it's always an approximation. It's impossible to do it like perfectly. But depending on how aware that person is, like a, a prayer minister that was really probably could have seen the reaction of your friend when they got off and stopped and said, you look kind of uncomfortable what's going on for you. It, it's okay to ask those kinds of, those kinds of questions. Yeah, it's okay to make mistakes, but it's also important to acknowledge the mistakes yeah. <laughs> and uh, to, to make some correctives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I occasionally have had to like say, I just, we just can't have you <laughs> praying here anymore. So, yeah. it, it, it is kind of interesting to me that um, I did have one, what I would call a problem prayer minister. Like, if a complaint was being made, it was probably with that person. And then it's interesting because they, uh, not too long ago, left the church because they were right on board with the, you know, ascendancy to power. They were really into that. So, I don't know, you know, what was going on there. Um, they did t come to us from a different tradition um, and were... I don't know, maybe they were tired of my correctives. But it, but it is important. Yeah. Any, any other questions, thoughts, concerns? You mentioned that the campaign might have been true for Can you talk a little bit more about how the private industry can look differently? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, um, well, it can look a couple of different ways. You know, when I'm um, 
I'm, I'm also just kind of a creative person, so how do you sort out, like, am I just being thinking creatively here, or is this the Holy Spirit? You don't have to start and say, the Lord is showing me that, or I'm having a vision of, right away that kind of like puts a lot, you know, it kind of heightens the sense of like, something prophetic's going on here. It, it just creates that kind of artificial hype that's unnecessary. Um, if instead you just start kind of incorporating that image or whatever into what, what either what you're saying to the person or how you're praying for them, if it's on the money, they feel it. Um, it just resonates deeply inside of them. Um, and sometimes what I think is going to really resonate and what actually resonates are two different things. Um, so with regard to, the, to that word, um, you can also pose it in as a question. Um, you know, you could say something like, you know, as we've been praying, you know, the word that just keeps coming to my mind is whatever. Does that bear resonance with you in any way? And then they can say yes or no. They say no, you just let it go. Um, that's one way to um, handle it. The other, and it's something I th think I've learned more over time, um, is sometimes prophetic ministry is like the person is just sitting there passive and you're just like praying over them. Um, in this example that I gave at the beginning, you know, it was really important for me to ask that girl, to make the, this young woman, I said, like, when you're ready, you raise your hands. And then I ask her, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Um, because if you come in with, like, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, um, it might stick with them and make a difference in their life. But uh, if they see it themselves, if they see the image, if they hear the words, um, that is powerful and life-changing. So anything that you can do to bring that person into the presence of God, to help them listen to God for themselves. Um, you know, in this case, it wasn't, it was just a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. You know, mention this TV show, and then to say, maybe you feel like God is kind of not the mama, uh, and you don't want to, you know, you're, you're close to God's, offer generosity towards you because he's not the mama? Like, if I could have just said that, she could have said, no, that, that just, I, I don't think that's it. No, okay. We'll just keep going. Um, that it helps if you have that kind of humility uh, in, the, in, that, in that prayer time to understand that um, you, 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 you may or may not be on track. But if you can bring them into the presence of God and let them hear from the Lord themselves, Whatever image they see, scripture verse they hear, uh, you know, word from the Lord that they hear, that will stick with them and make the long, long term change. I don't know if that answers your question. What types of questions do you ask? A couple of my favorites, you know, when I, 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 I you know, look at their face, I'll say, what's going on for you? Because then you're not suggesting are you seeing any pictures? Are you hearing any words? I mean, even that's a little suggestive. But if you just say, you know, what's going on for you as we pray? Or can you tell me about the tears? Um, you look really 
anxious right now. Are you? You know, are you okay? Um, those kinds of really open-ended questions, I think, are really, really important. And then it becomes more of a, you know, instead of a like, I don't know, the prophet and the, what would you call the person receiving the prophecy, you know. It's not, it doesn't create that kind of unnecessary, you know, prophet up here, person down here. It, it brings it a little more even, which is important because it's God is the one who's speaking. You know, we want to hold, we, we want to be sort of side by side with that person listening to God rather than them looking up to us and listening. That was one of the, I think, difficulties of that prophetic movement in the 90s is it just exalted these men to be like, ooh, way up there, you know. And then everybody wants a word from them. And we went to one of the, it was a conference down in Champaign, and this goofy guy in our church had this crazy fluorescent hat on. And he's like, I think it might increase my chances of me getting a prophecy if he could see my hat out there in the audience, you know. I mean, that's like... Oh man, that's not upward towards God. You know, that's a bendness towards uh, towards the prophet, which is a problem. Um, and so, our understanding of prophetic ministry is really side by side. This is maybe I don't know. It might be a bit of a tangent, but I'm wondering, like everything you just said makes a lot of sense. Um, but I've also noticed, like, that I have really different experiences, like as when I'm receiving prayer. Mm -hmm that different people, like, it, as I kind of have prayed with people multiple times, or I, I get like a certain, I have certain experiences with certain people, and then sometimes it's like, I I know like, okay, this person's a young Christian, and I'm gonna allow them to pray for me, but I'm not really, I, I don't know if that sounds bad, but like, I'm not really expecting a lot, and I don't find that, typically like the more powerful moments that I've had have been with people who, Kind of are very experienced, they're farther along in like the life of the spirit. And I, I guess I've never been able to put language around that because it feels kind of there's something that sits strangely with me about being like, this person's better at prayer, and when I pray with them, like Jesus does more, but also that's kind of how it yeah, does that yeah. make sense? It does. And I mean there there is, I think, um, I mean these are spiritual gifts, right? So on, on the one hand, it is like a skill, right, that you can get better at. Um, but there are, uh, I mean, it is up to God who he wants to, to gift uh, with these ways of, these ways of praying. Um, and some are going to be better, you know, they're just going to be better at it than others, partly by experience, partly by just a gift, you know, a gift of the Spirit. Um, yeah, I don't think you're off there. And also, you know, there's different kinds of prayer. You know, like, if you're like, I don't know, I think my cat's going to die. Could you please pray for my cat? Like, probably the not the, the barely Christian with no prophetic gift, that's gonna they're going to do just fine with that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and feel honored that you asked them right. to pray for you. You know, like, you were like, let's be on the same level here, you know? You can pray for me. If you're, you know, trying to make a big life decision that involves a lot of discernment, you're probably going to seek out someone who has uh, some life experience, some wisdom, some discernment, um, and not hope like, could you just kind of like, uh, like, 
I don't know, open yourself up like a, a white tablet to whatever weird impression God might give you if you speak it to me. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a lot more risk, yeah, risk involved there. Yeah. I think there is a tendency to, um, to borrow from the, um, that more pagan animistic understanding of divination to get, have that get too close to, um, to this Christian idea of prophecy. Because divination, like, you know, any, it, it, it doesn't really depend on the person. Um, there's not, there's not a, there's not, the humanity of the person doesn't really matter. Um, I like to make this distinction between, uh, you know, the inspiration of the Quran versus the inspiration of scripture. So, you know, uh, Muhammad's testimony is he's an illiterate man, um, you know, the angel comes, dictates it to him, he memorizes it, he goes find some scribe, repeats the dictation, he writes it down. You know, he's like, I had nothing to do with that. You know, anything you read in the Quran, that's not me. You know, the bad places in the Quran are not you know, Muhammad getting really frustrated with his lack of political success. Uh, <laughs> that's all just straight from God. I was just the oracle, you know. Um, Christian doctrine of the inspiration of scripture, you're like, wow, that sounds like Paul. That sounds like Jeremiah. Um, uh, that sounds like Isaiah. Uh, that sounds like Peter. Um, that sounds like Matthew. That sounds like Luke. That sounds like Mark. Like, anything they write, their own humanity is involved in, uh, in the writings. And I mean, that's certainly, you know, the inspiration of scripture is the highest form of prophecy. Um, and it was, has a unique time to it. But it's, it's still on the same continuum with our involvement in prophecy. And so our, our humanity um, is, is connected to that. Um, and when we step away from that, that's when we have the like, um, <laughs> Uh, I've had people come up to me and say, I'm not going to tell you what I need prayer for. I just want you to like start praying in tongues and just like prophesy over me. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, in part because like they're more like coming to me like a fortune teller, right? Here's my palm. You know, my palm. Um, will God maybe, I don't know, still bless that person even if you get involved in such a weird practice? Probably. Because God's heart is so towards giving to us. Is that the preferred way? No. Um, that which holds our humanity uh, with our uh, with the gifts of the Spirit together is I think an ideal that um, certainly we would teach here. I'm sure there's other places that would as well. all be in, um, how about this, we'll just do a listening prayer exercise. So I'm not going to have you pray for each other because we don't have to worry about who's in what bubble and, you know, is it too close and are we going to give each other COVID. We'll just do a in your seats kind of um, experience and then we'll process it together, okay? So let me encourage you to just go ahead and put your um, notes down. Uh, and this is just a listening prayer exercise um, to encourage you just to open up your imagination to see uh, with the eyes of your heart. 
Um, and I hope that your heart will speak to you and show you what's in it um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So um, what I'm going to do is invite you to um, take a walk in a garden, imagining that your heart is a garden, and um, to walk in the garden with Jesus, walking next to you, and see if you can find um, something that doesn't belong in the garden, um, some kind of a weed or a, uh, you know, a, a non-native species <laughs> doesn't belong in the garden of your heart uh, that's a fear. Um, and then with the Lord, we'll uh, pull out that fear and give it to Jesus, however it symbolizes itself, and see what Jesus does with it. So let's, let's pray. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, and influence um, our imaginations. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of, of power and of a sound mind. So, Lord, we don't want to be afraid. Uh, but our culture is just surrounded with fears of all kinds. And so, Lord, if there is some fear that you would like us to turn over to you today, we invite you to come and take a walk with us through the garden of our hearts, that we might see that weed of fear, that alien species, that non-native species, uh, that fear that's growing in our hearts that you'd like to receive from us. So I invite you now just to approach uh, a garden, however you might imagine it. Maybe it's just a little patio garden, balcony garden. Maybe it's a beautiful walled garden, like an English garden. Maybe it's a whole backyard garden. However you see that garden. Approach the garden and enter the garden. notice what you see growing there. And now, Lord, uh, if there's any weed of fear that's walk me over to that weed and show it to me. Just notice that plant and what's above ground and maybe the roots as well. You might not even know what the fear is exactly. You can see this plant. You know it doesn't belong in the garden. And then when you're ready, um, just pull that weed up and give it to Jesus and just notice what Jesus does with it after you give it to him. If you need help getting it up, you can ask 
pull that uh, weed up from wherever it is, give it to Jesus, and then notice what does Jesus do with it. seeing anything that's okay, don't worry about it. And then just a question, do you know what that fear is? What does that weed, what fear does that weed symbolize? hold of it, it like starts shrinking down to a size where like you you can actually handle it, so to speak. Yeah. Um, do you have any insight as to what the fear might be, if you feel free to say? Yeah. Um, I really think the fear is like a fear of people I love being like hurt. Mm. And like recently there have been a lot of situations that have come up where people I love actually have been physically like injured. Mm. Um, and so it's been like a very active fear, which makes sense that the weed was so 
Yeah, right, right. So it seemed like that was Yeah, I'd like to uh, have somebody pray for you. Are you comfortable with someone laying hands on you? Um, I don't know who's closest to her friendship-wise. Probably a tie. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. That's better. <laughs> 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 why don't you both? Why don't you both just? Maybe go behind her and each put a hand on her shoulder. Is that? vocalize any prayer at first, but just pray for the Holy Spirit to come and just fill that place where the weed was. Um, and just, yeah, uh, to see the Holy Spirit coming and filling in that, that place that's empty now. so well directed to care for friends and to want them to be well and safe um, and, that, and that have great connections to your heart where you want me to come through. Um, I pray they're inflamed right now and, um, and I pray that you would ease that inflammation and, and bring calm into your spirit.
Lord, we do all just turn our hearts to you and ask the Holy Spirit of God that you would come and where our hearts have been really uh, injured by fear, uh, would you come now, Lord, and replace the, just fill that space with your spirit that was once filled up with spirit, with fear, uh, that we might be more full and overflowing uh, with love, uh, with faith, and with hope. Thank you, Lord, for making more room inside of our hearts for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks. How did that feel, Lizzie? Did you feel comfortable with that prayer? Was that okay? Good. Um, so, uh, in closing, I want to, uh, I included this little thing called Listen, Love, Pray. Um, I'm not going to walk through it. This is something from um, Francis McNutt, who is in like a early uh, charismatic renewal in the Episcopal Church. He died in the last year, I think. But listen, love, pray is like their sort of simple formula for how to pray for people. And um, so I just give that to you to use. It's, it's easy enough just to remember. I'm listening to the person. I'm listening to God. I'm loving them. I'm loving God. And I'm praying for them. Uh, the one last thing I wanted to say partly Matt in response to your uh, question um, in my training in uh, spiritual direction uh, with, the, with the Jesuits who are all about discernment um, it's very interesting you know uh, in my circles uh, you know it would be like wow, so-and-so got this amazing picture of XYZ, this vision of what XYZ, and, or they heard the Lord say, whatever. And they're like, yeah, that happens. That's easy. That can happen to anybody. The hard part is the discernment. That's actually the hard part. So um, if you're desiring to grow in prophetic ministry, uh, while you're praying for more of the spirit of prophecy, pray for more of the spirit of discernment. All right, well, I enjoyed being with you all, um, and uh, hope to see you all sometime soon. Maybe we can actually get together sometime in our diocese. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.